tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, my good man. Welcome, everyone. It's time for On the Couch with Sigmund Bloom. A lot of crazy, crazy things. Looking at fantasy football from a deeper place. This is going to be a changing day in your life. And now here's your host, Sigmund Bloom. But I would not bone my mother. What's the most important thing that's happened in this big week of news leading up to Franchise Tag Tuesday? That more this week, the return of the couch. As uh, we flip the calendar over, we renew acquaintances with dear old friends. Scott Barrett, Fantasy Points, you know him, you love him. Scott, a lot of stuff happened in the last week. What stands out to you as important or worth a reaction or consequential? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're asking the guy who's wearing a Matt Jones t-shirt in his Twitter <laughs> avatar. Uh, so I, I got to hype up Anthony Richardson, who is now uh, either the most athletic quarterback of all time or the second most athletic quarterback of all time, second only to the great Matt Jones, who uh, was at the combine as a tight end, but was drafted in round one as a wide receiver. Uh, but yeah, according to my proprietary athleticism score, Spork score, uh, Richardson is not only the most athletic quarterback of all time, but uh, the second most athletic tight end of all time between only Vernon Davis and Kyle Pitts, also a top 10 wide receiver in terms of athleticism ahead of, you know, Chase Claypool. Everyone remembers uh, how great his combine was. Uh, so definitely that was the most impressive, most exciting, and just the fantasy significant. I think this is easily your your fantasy QB one in rookie drafts, dynasty mm-hmm. rookie drafts. I think it's super flex. Uh, is he the one Oh two? I think he's definitely in that conversation. I might still be a Jackson Smith and Jigba guy, but uh, uh, the latest Richardson should go is probably one Oh three. And so that's definitely what, what stands out to me. So do you care what team he goes to? Do you feel confident that the team that's willing to spend a premium pick on him will have a good plan for him, understand what he can and can't do? A lot, say Josh Allen, and, and not be somebody who's a square peg in a round hole, or is your view of him, at least his early career, open to change depending on where he lands? Yeah, it's it's funny. Last time I, I did your show, I think it was like week five, and uh, I was just like, yeah, well, you know, one of my strongest calls of the season was Justin Fields. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't look like it's, it's, it's doing mm. so well. But uh, he finished the season as the fantasy QB5 in fantasy points per game. And so, like, I don't, I don't care where Anthony Richardson goes. Like, all that matters is how soon he's going to get on the field and how much job security he has. Because if he's on the field, like, to me, he's a lock and load, easy mid-range QB1 at worst, like, Justin Fields had the worst offensive line in football last year, the worst receiving core in football last year. He still wasn't very accurate. He still struggled to right. read the field according to every you know film expert. And none of that matters if you're running enough. And like Anthony Richardson with this historic speed score, weight adjusted 40 yard dash time, you know, rocked up frame, uh, he's going to be running enough. And so this to me is like an easy, let's go mid range fantasy QB one. I want him in redraft leagues this yep. year. And for Dynasty, yeah, the concern is, okay, like, well, he is a flawed prospect, like, you know, high risk, high reward, like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Josh Allen was, and those guys hit their upper bound range of outcomes, and it's not necessarily true that Richardson will, but like the floor he has due to his mobility, his speed score, weight adjusted 40 yard dash time is like, it's impossible, basically, for him to fail as long as he's on the field. So... Would you be? You mentioned redraft. I mean, it's like it's March. Okay, so talking redraft, we're a little early, but our brains never stop chewing on this stuff, right? You know, would you be okay as a plan A going in and saying, "Oh, I'm going to take 
Trey Lance and Anthony Richardson or otherwise going all risk reward. (laughs) Is this the Scott Barrett special? Uh, in a redraft, yeah, for sure. So that's what I did in a lot of my my drafts last year was Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Justin Fields had like a mid-range QB2 ADP. I had him like top 10 quarterback. like that. But that's what you want. It's like low-end QB1s don't mm-hmm. move the needle. There's just like a – the difference between the QB11 and QB17 is negligible. It's nothing. You you really right. want to land one of those high-end QB1s. So like I, I love that. I think that's – I think that's absolutely a great strategy because the floor, what is the floor? It's okay. Trey Lance doesn't get the job. Anthony Richardson doesn't get the job till midseason. It's like, all right, Brock Purdy's probably like on sure. waivers or like a Mac Jones or you're, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. I did, I did our, uh, what we learned series. What did we learn last year? And it seemed like for the most part, uh, th- there were a few exceptions. Justin Fields, a, a good one, if you actually were patient and held on to him. Joe Burrow, probably the other one. But otherwise, Scott, if you didn't take Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts, who were all top six picks of the position, it, you could have just not even taken a quarterback and really been about as well off, as, again, with the exception of Burrow and the people that were patient because Justin Fields was dropped in a few leagues. Uh, we saw the worst case and best case scenario. It's something you always got to remember, folks. Like in one season with Justin Fields, we saw the case against him play out. We saw the case for him play out. And and we'll see. But Anthony Richardson certainly is going to be one. And I just to put a capper on the Anthony Richardson talk, I'm assuming you would endorse the team trading up to number one to get him. Um, this is tricky for me. I think he's in play as the QB one from like a real NFL perspective. Yeah. I don't like Bryce Young anywhere near as much as everyone who's like, oh, no brainer 101. I think the height's a real issue. And like, I used to go the opposite way on this. Like, Baker Mayfield was coming out. I'm like, oh, he had zero passes batted down. He's, you know, the height thing is like so overblown because look at Drew Brees, look at Russell. And it's it's one of those things like Adam Harstad has a great line, uh, which is, uh, volume is efficiency and efficiency is volume. And so just the fact that there hasn't been any real quarterbacks drafted at this height, like that is a red flag, but it's also like the only quarterbacks of Bryce Young's height who have been successful are uh, Kyler Murray and Doug Flutie. And then Russell Wilson was an inch taller. But the thing is Bryce Young doesn't have the hyper mobility of a Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray to me, his legs are more impressive than what Lamar Jackson does with his legs. He like teleports. His pocket uh, escapability is insane. And Russell Wilson had that and he doesn't have that anymore. And like Russell Wilson at this stage of his career is not good. Baker Mayfield has been like fully exposed and Kyler Murray. Yeah. uh, Even I think he's a little overrated or at least he's dealing with a ton of injuries. He, he collapses in the second half. And so sure Bryce Young, like he's an absolute outlier and I don't think he has the athleticism and the maneuverability and escapability of these other guys. And, and Drew Brees is just an all-time outlier, the most accurate right. quarterback ever, amazing uh, in terms of processing. And so, and then the weight, like, okay, he was like 203 pounds, but you know, like it's fake weight. He's just like drinking a gallon of milk a day. He didn't <laughs> run any, any of these events. And so like, I mean, he's going to be playing against Aaron Donald. Like Aaron Donald can curl 203 pounds for 15 reps. He can shot put that 30 yards. He can rip Bryce Young in half. Look at Kyler's injury issues, Tua's injury issues. So I used to go the opposite way on this, but now, no, I, I think I think the height and the weight is a serious concern. And then you look at an Anthony Richardson with all of his warts, but it's like, let's say Bryce Young is Tua. Let's say Bryce Young is like a guaranteed uh, mid like QB 15 for the next 10 years, like that's valuable, but like it doesn't move the needle in the same way that a, some, a quarterback with the upside of Cam Newton meets Patrick Mahomes, which like I'm hearing thrown around or a Josh Allen, like that is just, okay. Like look at where the chiefs are. They're in the AFC championship game every single year. Nothing else matters. They have the goat quarterback. So uh, just asymmetric upside. Like hit, I say for fantasy, upside wins championships is the most important thing. That's the same thing for the NFL. And like his upside is so much more valuable 
than Bryce Young's floor. And guess what? He does have a floor. Like, like even if he doesn't work out as a quarterback, he's like one of the most athletic tight ends or wide receivers of all time. And like he, the mobility is there, like with Justin Fields, you know, the record wasn't there, but he, the offense was a lot better than the roster dictated it. It should be. Yeah. Josh Norris, who's one of the wisest people in our circle for sure, put something out there yesterday to the effect of what if athleticism is actually the floor mm. and it's processing and decision-making and being able to, uh, and this is my way of explaining it, being able to validly process visual information and, and make good decisions based on that. That's where the ceiling comes in. And I think you're right that actually Anthony Richardson's athleticism in the right system, this is where Indianapolis comes. And I think of all the teams that we might see Richardson end up with, Shane Steichen, I mean, you saw what he did with Justin Herbert, saw what he did with Jalen Hurts. So why not uh, Anthony Richardson there? And the Bryce Young talk's interesting with the size. And I think you're going to see him go, like Baker Mayfield, you're going to see him go very high, maybe number one, certainly top four picks. And then a way that's the NFL saying, we don't care about the size, but how much of Baker Mayfield failing is his size? I don't know, but I know that uh, big, formidable quarterbacks, like you said, this is old conventional wisdom right scott if you're a big formidable guy a big battleship it's a lot harder for them to hurt you and the most important ability is availability right uh speaking of quarterbacks getting hurt and being available what's your reaction to all this lamar jackson stuff uh there's layers of this there's the fantasy layer there's the nfl layer there's even the larger kind of labor management layer but it, it certainly is not something that was uh a, you know a ho-hum development getting the non-exclusive franchise tag, and then five teams immediately saying through official team channels, yeah, we're not in on it. Yeah, the, the thing I was saying with Hyatt was like, again, that just like really does impact your vision and like hmm? what you're able what you're able to do. Like Russell Wilson, like even when he was elite in the pocket with his athleticism, like still never threw to the middle of the field, things like that. I think Bryce oh, Young yeah. would have to live in shotgun all day at the NFL like he did last year and the year before that. But uh, Lamar Jackson, I have no idea uh, what's going on there. Is it just how difficult he is supposedly to negotiate with and wanting guaranteed money? I mean, like, these teams are saying they don't even want to have a conversation with him. Is it possible we're just really overrating uh, what we, no. we view as Lamar's no. talents? No. I, I, because because like, Daniel Jones, like, look at the money Daniel Jones is getting. Right. I have no idea. It's hard to not read this from the outside. And collusion is a, a word that can be thrown around. It's so hard to prove collusion. I mean, the NFL is collu- the NFL drafts collusion. If we're going to start talking about collusion, I mean, know. I love NFL conspiracy theories. So, so what is this one? It's just like, hey, we don't want to pay anyone guaranteed money. No. So, yeah, let's exactly. For asking for it. Exactly. Uh, and we and they can put it under the guise if he doesn't have an agent. It's Jimmy Haslam. You know, Jimmy Haslam went off the reservation and signed Deshaun Watson to that deal. And the owners are saying, we don't want that to be the new standard for quarterbacks. So we're drawing the line here. Now, could Detroit, you know, some people said Washington, Dan Snyder, I forget who it was, maybe Pat Thorman, who I love, saying he's got other things on his mind right now, Dan Snyder. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you could have a rogue owner decide to go against the wishes of the other 31 owners and reinforce this but yeah lamar jackson has earned it I mean, he's definitely earned it you know the ravens are always a a good team when he's on the field they're a winning team they're a good team and they've given him almost no help they've given him almost no help in terms of scheme they've given him almost no help in terms of targets They've given him almost no help in terms of, I mean, their offensive line has been a, a revolving door lately. So I don't know what else he needs to do to prove what he's worth, but I'm afraid he's going to end up playing on this non-exclusive franchise tag. I'll ask you this. In a scenario where he goes somewhere else, do you think we would learn that the Greg Roman offense and the lack of targets were holding him back? Do you think he was, through the first three weeks, the number one fantasy quarterback? We have seen him in the first year in 2019 that he really was unveiled in Greg Roman's offense. He was he was a cheat code. Uh, do you think that if he landed somewhere else that we might be underestimating for fantasy what he's worth? Uh, I don't I don't really know. Uh, I will say like a big reason why, you know, that 
you know, 2019 season, I had Lamar Betts plays for MVP was because it was Greg Roman. He was the hyper mobile quarterback whisperer. Uh, we saw him unlock Colin Kaepernick, yeah. uh, had success with Tyrod Taylor, even like Alex Smith had, you know, underrated mobility, I guess. Um, I, so like losing Greg Roman, like makes me nervous. And I wonder if that, you know, makes other teams nervous. I, I did think like this would be the ultimate test because their new offensive coordinator, Todd Monken, couldn't be a more polar opposite to Greg Roman. The last time he called plays at the NFL level, a combination of Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick combined for the third most passing yards in NFL history. So it's like, is it possible that like, we're just unlocking this like super Saiyan level version of Lamar Jackson where like, okay, there's all these passing yards and he's still averaging his typical 66 rushing yards per game. Like is it, does he just average like 50 fantasy points per game this year? Um, I don't know that that's kind of what had me excited, but at the same time, it's also like, Hey, maybe Baltimore doesn't really want Lamar. Maybe they're hoping someone calls their bluff and like they'll get two first round picks uh, because like, stylistically does Lamar fit a Todd Munkin offense? There's just a lot of questions I have and and no real answers. I think two first round picks is well below what he's worth. Right. Right. It's it's well below what he's worth simply because for starters, Scott, as soon as that team acquires Lamar Jackson, those picks become worth half as much, a third as much, a quarter as much just based on, you know, yes, if he's hurt, but I wonder how, quickly he would have gotten on the field if the relationship was a little better with the team just, i i wonder if there's any interest from the patriots like that like that. sure well you talk about a rogue owner exactly i mean it's an owner you know if the cowboys didn't have dak prescott locked up that would be interesting if philadelphia didn't have jalen hurts that would be interesting. You know, Miami was a team I think a lot of people would have speculated. Would, and that's where Lamar Jackson's from, et cetera. But they're already saying they're out on him. I mean, there, I mean, there are still a few teams I think have not said we're out on him. Detroit is interesting. Um, I don't think Seattle has said they're out on him. Uh, you know, they're, yeah, they, they're, did, they did sign Gino, right? Like, wasn't that after the fact, or was that they did sign Gino, but basically to a one year deal? I mean, okay. and like the Derek Carr deal down here in New Orleans, basically a two year deal. New Orleans would have been interesting. I don't think Gail Benson cares about the, I think she would probably be willing to mm-hmm. go outside of that range. Uh, but I think probably now, from a betting market point of view, Scott, I would say that Baltimore should be the favorite of where Lamar Jackson is going to play this year. Oh, right. And uh, for fantasy, like you said, that could actually be fantastic. Todd Munkin, that could be t- tremendous. And I do think Lamar Jackson, now we're doing armchair psychoanalysis, which I love to do. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson is the kind of person that, that is going to go out and you know even have a, a little more to prove. Uh, he's basically been going against this his whole career, right? I mean, his entire career has basically been him having to prove himself. And that's where he's going to be again. I'm rooting for him, but I think the chances of him ending up on a different team uh, for whatever reason. It's going down greatly. Um, let's. What else do we have going on here? Uh, we had some running back franchise tags. Josh Jacobs going back to the Raiders. We don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. I think that was one of the teams mentioned that is out on Lamar Jackson. Okay. Well, you had an interesting take on Josh. Yeah. I think it was you where it was yeah. like they didn't pick up his. The, yeah, the... they barely got a slap on the wrist. $2 million. I wonder if that was their strategy, where it's just like, hey, you know, like we can stay flexible. Like it's not going to cost probably. Us and and remember, I mean, those, those guaranteed. I think anytime we're talking about the Raiders, we're talking about cash on hand. But yeah, it's eight. It was an eight million dollar fifth year option, and the franchise tag is ten point one million. So they only got penalized about two million dollars for their unwise choice. Whereas Daniel Jones. I don't remember what the number exactly was, Scott, like 18 million, 23 million, something like that. The fifth year option for Daniel Jones. And now the Giants are in for 40 million a year, just for two years, probably. But still, that is a much more uh, material penalty for not having the foresight to believe in a player and commit one more year to player at a modest price. Um, But with the the Raiders now, uh, what are they going to do quarterback? Stiddy? I guess. I don't know. He knows Josh McDaniel's system. He actually surprised everybody, maybe even himself, at the end of the year. This implicates Devontae Adams. 
Uh, I think Devontae Adams is still like a top 15 pick in early drafts, right? Uh, Josh Jacobs is a third round pick, which based on how he produced last year, it seems like we're already pricing in a discount. Do you trust the Raiders to have a, a semblance of an offense without Derek Carr? Um, I, I don't know. I don't really have a good read. I just, I'm just like assuming, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go yeah. there. Like they're, they're, yeah. Just the floor is, is going to be high enough. Like they'll, they'll get it done. Are you going to be excited about an Aaron Rodgers led Jets offense? Oh that my God, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just look at what like Garrett Wilson averaged 18 fantasy points per game with any quarterback not named Zach Wilson. And then you just take it up like 10 extra levels getting Aaron Rodgers there. And, you know, uh, my guy, Elijah Moore, didn't have the, the greatest sophomore season, but, you know, I trust Aaron Rodgers to sp- support more than uh, one, uh, you know, receiver uh, to uplift it them to, to fantasy heights. Uh, I also think their offensive coordinator was, was pretty awful. Uh, so he's out of the picture. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, when they're going to the Nathaniel Hackett, uh, gambit there well, yeah, and we'll I mean, see maybe that's not much of an improvement but what, what and if it just but if it just means get out of the way and let aaron Rodgers do aaron Rodgers thing mm-hmm. that's it's, you know with the bread and butter running game it, it works with aaron Rodgers before for sure so we'll see i know that there was that meeting like the brain trust of the jets went out to meet aaron Rodgers, and again i'll say um i don't let's not i don't like people dunking on aaron Rodgers doing his darkness retreat like shouldn't all of us be doing more contemplation and checking on our mental health and figuring out if our lives are in alignment with, with our, our souls or our needs. I, I don't understand why we're making fun of him. And I'm not, the I biggest love it. I'm not the biggest Aaron Rodgers fan, right. but I, I, and by the way, I want to say other thing. I, I'm going to, it's my show. So I can be on the soapbox. So just indulge me for a second, Scott. I really, really do not like hearing people say, why doesn't Lamar Jackson just get an agent? Why doesn't he just get an agent? I get it that an agent is supposed to be, a go-between that is going to make a deal much more likely. And I suppose if you think getting the money, whatever his maximized guaranteed money is right now, he's more likely to get that with an agent, without an agent. But Lamar Jackson's going to be fine. He's going to be fine financially. He's going to be fine as a football player. And if he wants to determine his future in his way, through his lenses of what are good and bad choices, then why, why is everybody so against that? I feel like, Scott, sometimes one of the biggest sins you can commit in the United States is not maximizing your earning potential and really makes people uncomfortable. Mm. I think it's okay that Lamar Jackson, and I'm, 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 and I actually, I mean, I wonder if the league is trying to make an example of him to, because he doesn't have an agent, but I, I would understand why someone who's had Lamar Jackson's life would not trust an agent to look after his best interests and only trust himself to do that. And maybe it's the system that's messed up, not the choice to not have an agent. Sorry. Thank you for indulging. I, Go ahead. I, I will say I do think it is in his best interest to, to have an agent. I, I think that's kind of, you know, maybe talks have stalled because, you know, it's just it's just hard to communicate with Lamar, who doesn't know all these different legal things. But but more importantly, like Richard Sherman really got taken advantage of in his yeah. final contract. He, you know, was arguably the best cornerback in football and he made basically nothing um and like there's like a small fee with with uh football i I think it's not like baseball like you know football agents make you know a very small percentage but i i don't really know enough about contracts or salary cap but that's just kind of how i was viewing it yeah, um, you're right. It's like whenever Ricky Williams hired Master P as his agent. I don't think that worked out real well for Ricky. But I, but I think you're right. It's like yeah, you know, like let him let him do what he wants to do. Like I, I he's earned that. it. I Hasn't cool. he earned it? Hasn't yeah. he earned self determination? Even if we don't like the outcomes it creates for him, I mean, he if he that's how he wants to do it, he's earned that. Um, Calvin Ridley, he was in the news. I liked his piece, by the way. He wrote something. I think it was for the Players Tribune. Uh, just a personal piece. Players Tribune stuff is always great to read, if only because it will humanize the players, which could always use a little more of that. Um, how he's Scott, he's going in the fourth round already wow. in early underdog drafts. Um, is that too ambitious? Maybe even not ambitious enough? Um, I don't know. I, I do wor- always worry about rust with these guys uh, because it wasn't just that he missed all of last year. But what the hell happened the year before that, where he only played five games, he wasn't really productive, 
he was like mentally checked out or he just kind of like went MIA for the remainder of the year for like seemingly no reason. And then that suspension hit. Um, he says he's going to get 1,400 yards for the Jaguars this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Christian Kirk had 1,100. He played a lot better than I expected. There's, if you check out uh, Trevor Lawrence's Instagram, and there's just like a bunch of double dates with uh, Trevor Lawrence and his wife and Christian Kirk and his mm-hmm. wife. Uh, so I think might have a unique connection. Um, I don't know. I probably round four. There it probably seems like there's a little too much uncertainty there, but I mean, I, I do think Ridley is the better talent over yeah. a Christian Kirk. What yeah. He, yeah. I think, well, I, what it makes me think is just Trevor Lawrence, right? Just take right. Trevor Lawrence at ADP, right? If we like Calvin Ridley enough to put him in the fourth round collectively, then what that does as a boost to this offense with the franchise tag on Evan Ingram with Kirk, with say Jones. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be exciting. And Calvin Ridley giving him that true X, that field stretcher, the player who can win on the boundary is going to unlock a lot. And you saw a really excellent alignment between resources that Trent Balky spent on Ingram, Kirk and Zay Jones and Doug Peterson and company and their offensive scheme and asking Trevor Lawrence to do very achievable things with this offense. And now you're going to add another dimension. Uh, we'll see what happens with Travis. Etienne. They're going to add a running back. So, I mean, they may not, they're not necessarily going to add B. John Robinson, but they're going to add another running back, I think. Uh, and we'll see Travis Etienne actually you know, came. I remember when I had you on last, you said he's going to be a league winner. And for about three weeks, he oh, looked right. like a league winner. Yeah. He's got a little choppy, uh, but certainly his job can get a lot easier if defenses are uh, pulled in multiple directions because now they have to worry about Calvin Ridley. And I do want to say for Trent Balky, who we used to dunk on, uh, that this trade was brilliant. A fifth-round pick and then a conditional second to fourth. Mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley's also signed to pre-wide receiver craziness contract terms. This was a really good trade and was exactly what they needed. And now that he's been reinstated, uh, everybody can can bask in, in the uh, enjoyment of looking forward to Jacksonville, who ended things on a high note, uh, getting to the playoffs and actually winning a game. Um, what about Tony Pollard? Oh, your boy. Yeah, I. so you had me on in the offseason, and I was like caving up for Zeke over Pollard at ADP. And man, that was just not like Pollard is Zeke is just like super cooked, but Pollard is glaringly to me like one of the top 10 best, most explosive running backs in all of football. And that might be underselling it. Last year, he looked, you know, top three, top five. And, uh, you know, now this should be his his time to shine. Um, I, I, my one worry with him was I don't know that they trust him to, uh, at shoulder like a, a real RB one load in terms of volume, mm-hmm. but I I don't know how true that is. Every time you know Zeke was out and he he was given you know twenty plus touches and he just you know three touchdowns or you know one hundred and fifty total yards he he looked amazing. I, I, on paper, like he should be, you know, if if Zeke isn't there and they really give him this role or like maybe just like eighty percent of the volume or heck 70% of the volume of Zeke plus Pollard combined. Uh, he, he should be like a top five fantasy running back. Right. Right. He should be there right after that right around the, where I guess where Jonathan Taylor's going. Right. Cause I think right now you've got Christian McCaffrey and Alec and Austin Eckler, you know, they're going to be top five picks. And then Jonathan Taylor is the next running back off the board around the end of the first round, which is a decent injury discount. Uh, we'll see what Indy does at quarterback, of course. Uh, and then it's, it's uh, pretty quiet at running back until about the third round. But Tony Pollard, depending on what happens with Zeke, like you said, watch them take Bijan Robinson. Isn't that the team? Isn't that the team that's going to take Bijan Robinson? Right? Stephen Jones saying, well, we won't rule out taking a running back early. And uh, they only are committed to Tony Pollard for one year. I don't expect to see a long term deal there. And uh, it's so interesting seeing this $10.1 million franchise tag. You look at Aaron Jones. You know, Aaron Jones took. This offseason, Scott was like from 22 down to 11 million or something like that. That's still good running back money. That's mm-hmm. I actually staying in Green Bay has seems to have worked out for him, partially because AJ Dillon hasn't been all that. 
and we'll see what happens. Is Green Bay really going to go into the season with Jordan Love? Is that is that really what we're looking at there? I mean, he's kind of interesting from a fantasy perspective because he he runs and like he's right. got time to you know really understand that offense. Uh, he was supposed to be like the high up, high risk, high reward mm-hmm. prospect who just needed time to sit and learn. Uh, I think people are going to forget about him. He, probably a great best ball pick if you know Green Bay does seem committed to him. To him. I mean, what's the alternatives? Because like you mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, after Jimmy Garoppolo, now what are we looking at? Marcus Mariota or something? Well, I mean, I'm, is... a, I'm a Giants fan, and I, like, hated that Daniel Jones contract just because, like, mm-hmm. okay, I know they went to the playoffs. I know he won a game in the playoffs, but, like, this to me is still a bottom five roster with salary cap issues. Okay, you know you're, you have an elite head coach now, so give him all the job security in the world, but, like, this is still a, a tough roster. I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy long term, so – I don't be afraid to let him walk and kind of just stink. Put yourself in a position to get an elite quarterback in next year's draft, which is stacked. Um, but yeah, so if I were them, I would have like ra- rather taken a chance on Carson Wentz. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Carson Wentz is never going to be a thing. In the Maybe NFL, he'll get to play for every team in the NFC East. <laughs> he's just che- he's just cheap, yeah. And I mean, like if Brian Dable could could turn Daniel Jones around to the extent that he did, like who knows. Some someone cheap with upside, like like hey, like Pete Carroll also did with Geno Smith, right? Rather than just paying these guys exorbitant salaries. Yeah, and that's the angle uh, people down here in New Orleans asking me about the Derek Carr. Just keep Andy Dalton for like a third of the price and get well, the seventy-five percent. Yeah, the craziest thing about that is like so uh, talking about like Chris Olave. Oh, uh, you know, now that he has Derek Carr, like is he like a early second round pick, whatever. Uh, it's just Andy Dalton was awesome last year. Like he was elite last year. I know that sounds insane, but if you just look at his metrics, mm-hmm. he was top three in accurate, or he was number one in accurate pass percentage. He was third in depth adjusted completion percentage. He was PFF's sixth highest graded passer. Uh, he was awesome by EPA per play. If you just look at yeah. all these metrics, he was incredible. And it's like, is Derek Carr even an upgrade? Because yeah. he's never ranked top seven by any of these stats. I like, yes, he's better than Andy Dalton for sure. But like, who Andy Dalton was last year, or maybe this is just an argument for Derek Carr. Like, he's going to come in, take the league by storm. Um, I don't know, but yeah. uh, Andy Dalton was awesome, and he, like, he does not get enough credit for how well he played last year. Yeah, I, I, I'm not buying it. Uh, that Derek Carr. I'll, I'll just put it as simply as we'll look at what Andy Dalton's final contract number is for this year, and. I would guess it's not going to be more than 10, 11, 12 million dollars. Is, is really, is Derek Carr going to provide three times as much value as Andy Dalton? I, I think that's almost impossible. Likewise, I'm going to soapbox this for a second again because we're talking about quarterback contracts. Likewise, whether it's Geno Smith, Derek Carr, or Daniel Jones, I get why the top quarterbacks are getting $50 million a year. They're probably still underpaid, honestly. The top, Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen, oh, absolutely. Joe Burrow, when he gets his contract, these guys are still underpaid. Even Justin Herbert, underpaid. But a Geno Smith, a Daniel Jones, a Derek Carr doesn't provide 60 or 70% of the value of those quarterbacks. They provide more like 30%. Of, and it just shows you how valuable those quarterbacks are. I'm not trying to put down those quarterbacks. So when you're paying, overpaying that much for adequate production, whenever you could just to splash around some, you know, like we talked about Andy Dalton, uh, some of these other quarterbacks, like the Geno Smith type reclamation projects, take a sec, take a Hendon hooker, take, you know, like whenever the Seahawks signed Matt Flynn and Tavares Jackson was coming back and they drafted Russell Wilson and just have an open competition and see what happens and have a lot of extra cap room to build a really good team elsewhere, including on the offensive line which might be, you know, what else did Seattle do last year? They re- actually invested in their offensive line. They hit on two rookie tackles who basically played the whole year and were good. How much of it was Geno Smith? How much of it was, you know, with Daniel Jones? You mentioned Brian Dable. Well, if Evan Neal hits, right, we know that, that Andrew Thomas is hitting. We know that he's good. So if those two guys hit, well, I mean, you might argue in the other direction and say it doesn't matter. Certainly Kyle Shanahan has shown us that you can build an offense where the quarterback doesn't matter at least getting you up to the floor or the 
basic functional level of the offense. As long as someone is versed in the system and understands the decision tree that has been set up by the play designs, and it helps to have a good offensive line with Trent Williams. It helps to have Kittle and Ayuk and Debo Samuel and now Christian McCaffrey. But still, you don't have to be set with a $35 million a year, $40 million contract. On the Daniel Jones things really quick. My, of course, I'm going to go touchy-feely on this, Scott. I do think that Brian Dable was in a tough position where, and I don't know how Daniel Jones is received in the locker room, but I will say this. You watch Daniel Jones. He puts it all on the line for his team. He, I, I say this occasionally just to remind people. He's the best quarterback in the league. I'm not kidding. He's the best. If you want someone to deliver a throw and they know they're going to get blown up, mm. like they have to stand in, step into the throw, and if you stand in and step into the throw and deliver it, you're going to get a big play, but you also know you're going to get just demolished. You're going to get creamed, smeared. Uh, at the end of that play, he is a tough, very physically tough player, and he—I think he's a—he's an all-in kind of player. So I'm assuming that he does have some support in that locker room, and this team vastly outperformed expectations, vastly outperformed expectations. So how do you, as a second-year coach, gain, maintain the trust of the players when you aren't going to commit to somebody who was one of the biggest reasons, and also had nobody around him? Right. It's it, it's kind of like I the beholder thing where, you know, we'll appeal to, well, it was just the surroundings, good or bad when we want to. And then we'll say, well, Patrick Mahomes doesn't matter. Trade, trade real doesn't matter. Trade, you know, offensive line. Well, that mattered. And then they rebuilt the offensive line. So I think we don't know what Daniel Jones can do with plus right. receivers. We don't know what he can do. But then again, if it is all that structure around him then that's an argument to say invest that money elsewhere. So, But that's what keeps us going, right? These wonderful debates, and we watch it all play out. The plate tectonics are in motion, but we don't see the actual effects until further down the line. Uh, well, we were talking about like Anthony Richardson landing spots, yeah. right? And how Mahomes and Allen hit their upper bound range of outcomes, but they were still this polarizing high-risk, high-reward prospect. They just hit the reward, and you didn't see much of the risk. Um, just, just because that's how, like the, what the results were, but I mean, there's no better landing spot than Andy Reid for Patrick Mahomes. And maybe right. there was no better landing spot than Brian Dable for Josh Allen. And yeah. this is what he, can he make Daniel Jones and just another year is new Josh Allen. Like that's a, that's a possibility. I, I do just think fundamentally as a GM, like you were saying is you can build it two ways. You can pay a middling QB middling QB money and then you don't have money to spend on the rest of the roster, or you just have a stacked roster and you just hope you find middling QB play somewhere like, Hey, the Seahawks did with Gino, like uh, the saints did with Andy Dalton. Uh, so I just kind of think of it from like a GM's perspective, but I think that was smart the way you kind of. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, there's no, stuff. there's no right answer, but you should have an internally consistent plan and stick to it. Right. You shouldn't mm -hmm. flail. And you, and you especially hate to see the organizations where it's clear that there's disagreement, like Zach Wilson uh, with the Jets. There's disagreement. Um, we started off with Anthony. And that's, again, why Anthony Richardson going to Indianapolis sounds so interesting with Shane, Shane Steichen and what he's been able to do with young quarterbacks recently. Um, let's go. Let's circle back around to the combine. Uh, what else? And it can be. And then there's also a lot of talk at the combine too. Uh, the performance on the field. It does seem like what's happens on the field is taking more and more of a backseat to any number of other things like Jalen Carter's uh, drag racing and things like that. But what else as you're, as you're sorting through everything that happened at the combine struck you as meaningful? Um, yeah. So I have this, uh, you know, custom score. Uh, I call it spork score, just like tongue nice. in cheek on spark. Uh, but it's just basically a variable in my prospect model that looks only at the most predictive uh, events for each position and it weights them accordingly uh, in terms of predicting future fantasy production. And so what I found from that is, uh, you know, wide receiver athleticism isn't super important, really like size and BMI is a lot more important. Uh, and then running back is a little bit more important. And then tight end, it's like very important. And so Daniel Jeremiah said, this is, probably the best tight end class he's seen in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and there's maybe 10 tight ends in his top 150 or whatever it was. And you really see that from the combine. So uh, a top 12 percentile in sports score 
let's say, is an elite athlete. And this year there were six tight ends who qualified, which is the same as over the last you know six years combined. Right. Just a really special class. Uh, so I could talk about any of those guys who stood out, uh, the running backs who stood out for me, you know, the winners and losers. Um, yeah. Well, on the and on the tight end front, what makes that even more interesting? So you like you said, you're looking at a class that's going to surpass the Njoku, Howard, Ingram class uh, because of the depth. Maybe they won't get three tight ends in the first round. Maybe we will. Boy, do offensive coordinators love tight ends. I think we're going to continue to see more two tight end sets and even three tight end sets because of all the multiple looks that you can get a defense, give a defense, and you can really hamstring them because of the personnel mismatches it can create in the running game and the passing game. But there's a lot of super athletic tight ends. There's a lot of tight ends that have that latent, let's call it like Will Disley, uh, receiving upside that just because they weren't used a lot as a receiver doesn't mean that they can't be a dangerous receiver. And uh, we saw a lot of rookie tight ends make up an impact last year. Yeah. Am I crazy here? It was usually it's the like rookie tight ends aren't going to do anything. There were at least four or five fantasy relevant rookie tight ends last year. Uh, yeah. I mean, Greg Dulcich definitely stands out to me as the most exciting, uh, mm -hmm. historically great first three games or so of his career, which is saying something or like of any tight end all time, which is saying something given how bad that, that offense was. Uh, I think you bring Sean Payton over and now here's where it gets interesting is a big slot has always been the centerpiece mm -hmm. of his offense where Michael Thomas spent a lot of time out wide, but like, 70%, 60% of his targets were coming from the slot. Then there was Jimmy Graham. There was Marquez Colston. So it's like, who is his big slot? Is it, you know, Jerry Judy, who's this amazing slot wide receiver? Or is it Greg Dulcich, who is like profiles as a big, mm -hmm. you know, slot? Alberto, I don't know. Cecil said, watch out for Alberto, maybe getting another oh, chance. Maybe, maybe he gets a, a reset a here with Sean Payton. And, and we're talking about athleticism. He's, you know, one of the most athletic tight ends of all time with a yeah. all-time great speed score. Yeah. So definitely some things to watch with Denver. Although, like you said, it, it still revolves around what do we think of Russell Wilson? Do we buy into the redemption narrative for Russell Wilson? And if we don't, then it might not matter anyway. Cecil and I were talking about this yesterday on our weekly news and notes show. And I thought, well, I think the most likely outcome is that you're going to see a, the Broncos with a new quarterback and a new GM and Sean Payton next year. And because unless you, unless you think that he's going to be able to figure out and Russell Wilson together, they can figure out what happened last year. And he did get better. You know, maybe it was the offensive coordinator because what's his name? Justin Alton. I think I forget where he landed in the big coaching shuffle, but when he took over the, the offense, it's actually okay for the last three weeks of the season. It wasn't bad. So Denver, there's a lot of teams. I mean, we saw this come to fruition, you know, say with Philadelphia, that was a really good example. Miami, another good example where we think, Hey, there are changes coming in these offenses. It's going to be interesting and being early to see, Oh, okay. This offense is going to be a lot better than we thought, or in case of Denver, a lot worse than we thought is a key. It doesn't matter how you draft it. It's how you react in season. We're still very far away from the season. You did mention the combine running backs. Give me a takeaway or two from the running back performances of the combine. The, the one thing I always think is funny with Russell Wilson is like, uh, yeah. it came out a few years ago that he had a mindset coach yeah. who he paid like 200 K per year. <laughs> and just have to think that guy was working like way over time hours last year. Well, actually, actually Scott, I believe this is part of the story. He passed away in like 2021. Oh, wow. He passed away. Yeah. He, it was something called it's, it's, I believe, don't quote me on this folks. I believe it's a philosophy that is like you stamp out negative thinking, like you mm -hmm. nip negative thinking in the bud. Like you train your brain to just swat away like the Kembe Matombo, any negative thoughts. I forget what the name neutral thinking or something like that. I can't remember what it's called, but there was something, I mean, it was like his guru, like you said. Uh, uh, so not to go from, the sublime to the uh, not trivial, but I, I am curious what you think about these running backs because we all know yeah, about yeah. Bijan Robinson, we all know about Jameer Gibbs, and then there's everyone else. What did we learn about the everyone else, or did we just learn that we should focus on those top two? Well, definitely Bijan solidified his status. Uh, he had the second best sports score of any running back in the class for me. Uh, 
interestingly enough, basically like a Marshawn Lynch clone, same height, mm-hmm. same weight, same 40 yard dash time, uh, who's, you know, historically great, you know, uh, athlete and running back. Um, second biggest running back winner for me, uh, would be, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, generic Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the best sports score, but it was also like an elite, uh, generic Prince, uh, elite, uh, sports score 96th percentile. Um, my production model is not going to like him. He never had more than five rushing touchdowns or nine receptions in any season at Tulsa. But uh, just the athleticism is enough to take a chance on him late in rookie drafts. Elijah Mitchell, Isaiah Pacheco, they didn't have much going for them, uh, but they did have similar sports scores. So he could be the next one. And I will say I watched his tape, and I like I liked his tape a lot. He ran hard. He was very aggressive, you know, put it all out there, um, you know, through caution into the wind, whatever that phrase is, just like aggressive, reckless, you know, just, you know, launching his body at people. Fun watch. Oh yeah. That was what was fun about Isaiah Pacheco watching him last year is he ran the ball. Like his, his life was on the line every time he had the ball in his hands. And those are the kind of things, I guess as a general question, Scott, cause you've talked about your model, your spork score. Uh, how do you decide when to say, okay, this is, you know, one piece of data, but in the in this case, I might feel free to ignore it, or I know that it's not the whole picture. Uh, like, how do you decide how much to weight your spork score in the overall outlook of a player? So, so Devonta Smith was like a great example of this, where he, there, he was just an all time outlier at this BMI, which was we've never seen any wide receiver have success. Uh, you know, even if he was like ten pounds heavier, that weight and that BMI, massive concern. And, but I still really like Devonta Smith. And a reason why was, hey, he was the only wide receiver in 30 years to win the Heisman. So he's an outlier on multiple levels, one in a really good way, one in a really negative way. Uh, but this year, this wide receiver class, I'm seeing a ton of outliers in a negative way. Um, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, Nathaniel Dell is extremely short. Uh, Jordan Addison is ex- extremely late. Uh, as is Josh Downs. Josh Downs, 171 pounds. Nathaniel Dell, 165 pounds. Jalen Hyatt, who was supposed to be, you know, a 4-3-40 guy and was just 4-4 flat. Uh, re- the lowest BMI of any wide receiver in the class. He probably had the worst combine, in my opinion, or the most underwhelming. But, uh, yeah, so this is a concern. You know, all these guys are getting red flag scores. Jordan Addison, like, really bad sports score, uh, but really good production score. And so it's like, how much do you weight this? One argument for them is maybe the NFL landscape is changing because, you know, Devonta Smith did have success. And CeeDee Lamb was another low BMI wide receiver who has had success. Jamison Williams, Christian Watson, low BMI guys. And then for height, for a Nathaniel Dell, let's say, Rondale Moore, Greg Dorch, Rondale Robinson last year, all having success. So is the NFL just moving more in this direction? Uh, I don't know. This is where it gets tricky, and it is a little more art than science. I think that you're on to something that with the college and pro offenses merging, something that most people never thought was possible, there were so many times I remember hearing 15, 20 years ago, well, that's in a college offense. That's not going to work in the NFL. Uh, different body types at wide receiver are working. There's more specialized roles at wide receiver. And I think that you absolutely have to be open to, and look, I know Tutu Atwell hasn't hit. Tavon Austin didn't hit. But what if Tavon Austin was coming into this NFL, right? Maybe the story would be a little bit different. But I do think you're right that we have to be more open to Wandale Robinson last year, right? We have to be more open to this. And our clue is draft capital. You know, there's a lot of great models out there that people have made to predict success or failure uh, or otherwise uh, boost or uh, downplay the possibilities for different players. And if you're including draft capital, if you're including their draft slot, then you're counting everything twice almost, basically. Uh, and I think that the NFL tells us, I think Devontae Smith is a great example, where the NFL was telling us, like, oh, BMI, well, this guy has stuff that makes that not matter. And I think that Bryce Young and the height is going to be an interesting one, too, on that note. Uh, but at the same time, there, there's Baker Mayfield, who was an outlier in a lot of ways. And, well, that was, uh, you know, uh, 
wide right. You know, that was a, a big miss. Uh, it's almost time to go off the rails. Anything else? Anything else you want to get out here as we're back? This is a, I don't know if it's officially the first Couch of 2023. I think it is. Oh. And uh, anything else you want to shout out to the people while it's still a little bit calm because free agency is a week away? Uh, no, I'm just uh, so happy and grateful to be back. First, first yeah. 2023. That's that's really exciting. That yeah. that means a lot. I uh, just you know always love the couch. Feel right at home. Oh yeah, nice and uh, therapeutic and uh, relaxing, and I love it. So thanks for having me. Sick. Oh, it's always good to renew acquaintances. And uh, speaking of relaxing and therapy, this is where I want to go because it's something I find myself saying a lot lately, Scott. And you're old enough now. Your beard isn't quite as long and as gray. You know, I don't have any gray in your beard uh, as me. But um, I would say things that actually are the same as when you were a kid or even maybe remind you of how things were when you were a kid, those are good things. Those are good moments. Those are things I want to cherish. So when I say nostalgia, nostalgia mm -hmm. for your childhood, what pops into your head? Well, what you just said, I, I, I always think about uh, Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory, and Meteora. Mm -hmm. Those are like top 10 albums to me, but like I don't know if those are good, if they were good, or it's just nostalgia where I'm just like, okay, I'm 12 years old, I'm, or probably 10 years old, I'm getting amped up for my soccer game. So I'm putting mm -hmm. on, you know, Paper Cut by Lincoln Park and uh, uh, or playing Pokemon in a car, you know, with, with the Lincoln Park blasting. Uh, so that's what, what sprung to mind for me. What about for you? Oh, geez, I could go on and on. You know, it's funny, you say Lincoln Park, my first favorite band, as a kid, this would have probably been when I was three or four years old, late seventies was Kiss. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember walking around with my little tape recorder and and having a Kiss tape in it. I remember whenever the the, the four solo albums came out, and uh, yeah, um, there's so many things that I get nostalgic for uh, in childhood. You know, uh, I definitely think things have changed. Where my generation, a lot more of us raised ourselves, a lot more of us had free range childhoods to discover ourselves and i think the pendulum has swung back so there's a, the childhoods are a lot more managed now mm -hmm. and i just don't know how much room there is really to discover yourself especially in this world where we're in the funhouse mirror of social media did you grow up like when did you first get an email address were you in high school college uh i still have that email address it's it's Ooh. a giant met at Yahoo, don't don't email me. But I just I was a big Giants and Mets fan, yeah. so I just thought that was like a very clever thing. But I, I still have it. I still use it's like my spam email. Uh, I was I think in the second grade. I think we had a a, a computer class where the, okay. the teacher made us uh, uh, make our own email. So okay, but I but you still I mean I assume you can remember life before social media. And you can remember mm -hmm. yourself before everything got distorted through the funhouse mirror of social media. I, I kind of avoided a lot of it. Like I, I had a MySpace like sophomore year of high school and then like a Facebook junior mm -hmm. year. But uh, it wasn't like what it is now where you just kind of you live on social media. Yeah, it's really I mean, truly, I have gotten old enough now, Scott to not understand like i i just don't understand i don't understand how it would be to be a kid growing up now where everything is consumed through this lens and 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 i i just i just don't know but that's it you know i i, I like saying one of my aphorisms i make up on the fly that i've said a lot more recently is may you live to be old enough to see that the world is wicked and uh and, and i i mean that just more like our perspective changes as we get older you mentioned the you mentioned the uh the mets are you still because it is spring it is march are there still a few brain cells that you can devote to baseball oh no absolutely not i actually started in the industry as a baseball guy uh was a diehard mets fan made the switch to football which was like such a no-brainer it's just like yeah the guys who are good at stats in mlb are just like PhDs like way beyond me. And so uh, NFL, there's more glory, more attention. And, uh, you know, we didn't have to compete as much with those PhDs uh, on the fantasy baseball side. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I was because I was into all four sports for fantasy. My one of my original I've talked about this occasionally on the show. My, my favorite fantasy league I was ever in was a four sport league. There were 20 franchises mm -hmm. and you had a, a team in every sport. And we com all competed against each other in every sport wow. and all, all, and there was contracts and salaries and all of this was kept on Yahoo groups and 
text documents. And uh, I remember I was Austin Hayes. And uh, it was fun, but when it came time to try to go pro, you know, when the going gets weird, the weird go pro, uh, it, it was, of course, it was football. It was, it's a nice, elegant, closed universe. There's so much variance that nobody can get too high or too low. It's sensational. Mm. Uh, the failures, successes are all sensational. We all go on this week to week mindset. So I'm going to give away a trade secret. No matter how bad of a call you make, eventually you'll make a good call. You know, it's, it's like it's just, the churn keeps going. Just be be interesting and connect with people, and you're probably going to be okay. Well, you have to be talented and and, and brilliant, like like my friend Scott here. But uh, I agree with you that it was it's time to do something where you're a purveyor of fantasy information, advice, analysis. Football absolutely is the only way to go. And I think you can see that in none of the other fantasy sports really taken off. Okay, the other thing you mentioned is soccer. Was that Which sport did you play longest? Which team sport did you play longest as a kid? Um, uh, probably baseball. I was I was amazing at soccer. I just uh, I, I didn't like, like it, so I, I quit early. But that was you, by far my best. Sport. Amazing? Like, were you a scorer? Were you a striker? Were you up front? No, I, was, uh, I was on defense, but I was uh-huh. like uh, – it was like a rec league where you – like draft players and like you would always draft your your son first and then your son's best friend second and like I went to a private school so I didn't know anyone but apparently I was always drafted like the highest and like all the coaches would tell me to go out for um to go out for uh, uh the travel league whatever mm-hmm. but I uh I heard my dad say soccer was just gay football when I was Ooh. in like the fifth grade or something and so I I, I quit a few years later but I, I was really good at it Wish I stuck with it. Watch what you say, Dad. I know. Did you see? Have you been paying any attention to the U.S. men's team at all? No. Like the no. World Cup or anything like that. I just have to mention this because I think it's just so perfect, like nesting Russian dolls, that the U.S. men's soccer team was in disarray after the World Cup because somebody's dad was upset that his son didn't get to play enough. Mm. I mean, as it is all the way down the chain. Uh, that's uh, in, you know, it's too bad. I, I mean, I, I, it's interesting to hear you say like you should, you should have stuck with it, but at the same time, if your heart's not in it, your heart's not in it. But so, so what position did you play when you played baseball? Oh, I, I played everything. I loved baseball so much. I wasn't amazing at it, but like I was always the coach's favorite because I played, I was like the smallest kid, but I played catcher because our, our catcher kept getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played second base, shortstop outfield um i wanted to be a pitcher but i just uh, i just wasn't any good at it have you ever thought about coaching youth baseball oh no that's that's a good idea it was do, fun. do i need to make some kids for that or should no I just, uh, okay. no no not at all um actually uh i got to be the assistant coach and i ended up being the coach because the coach who was basically drafted because they couldn't didn't have enough coaches. He was a he did basketball and flag football. And they said, "Can you do a baseball team?" He didn't have any kids. Uh, he he was fantastic, super positive, good dude. And then his uh, his girlfriend was pregnant and she was having some problems with her pregnancy. So I had to just kind of take over the team. And because of the travel team culture, you mentioned travel team. Those kids are already they're nine or ten years old. Scott, they already have a specific way they wear their uniform. You know. They already have like all the things like the donuts and all the different tools mm-hmm. at nine and 10 years old. Wow. And uh, uh, so it's, it's a different thing than what we remember, but those kids were basically like assistant coaches. So mm-hmm. it wasn't too bad. It was fun getting to know the kids, like really getting to know the kids and seeing them in an environment where it, there's, uh, there's some pressure. I mean, certainly I, I commend all the kids playing youth sports because you're out there to fail in front of everybody. I don't want to fail in front of everybody. I don't want everyone watching me and whenever I have my worst moments and they're out there and they're willing to do that and they're courageous kids and they're learning a lot and just getting to know the kids, just seeing what makes them tick and getting to maybe have those moments where you can see that you actually made a little bit of a difference, at least for a moment in their lives, because really what all kids need are just people that care about them, just more people in their lives that care about them. And that was a good way to do it. So maybe I always thought that one of the funny things would be is if like, instead of a fantasy league you did a, a youth sports league and everybody coached a team so that, mm. there you go let's see how, how it plays out in real life well, it was something me and my girlfriend did was we were watching uh uh i don't know this kids cooking show that, that gordon oh Hayes yeah master chef junior and we were we were doing a, a fantasy draft based yes. maybe i talked about this last time but 
That was a lot of fun. Yeah, you could fantasy. Fantasy baking. We're on it. Believe me. My wife and I, we love, uh, we, we did a whole binge of the Great British Baking Show recently. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. I love that show. I would, I, I, I tear up. Like, I, I'm overwhelmed by emotion. <laughs> Why? Because it's because it's real, uh, real human emotion. Um, fantasy baking shows, fantasy cooking competition. It's coming. See, we're ready to pivot, Scott. That's why I love bringing Scott Bayard in here. That's why I love all the people in the chat room. Everybody spending time in this afternoon, or if you're listening to the show now, taking time out of your life. So wonderful that the most precious thing in your life, your time and attention, that you're willing to give us. Also, give uh, football guys a little time with the rookie guide. Football guys. Join.footballguys.com slash rookie guide. It's free. It's PDF. Get you up to date on the players we talked about at the combine and everybody else. Uh, we want to provide the best for you always, folks, because you're so blessed. Get a record player. Start a record collection um, because it's the ritual. It's, re- it's marrying music back to ritual. And whenever you take your record out and you handle it very gently because it's a precious thing, and you put it on the record and the sound of a needle going on the record, we all know what that means, how that prompts you if you're old enough to remember it. And it's a moment in your life when you slow down and you make yourself ready to receive something. I have been fantasizing.